Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to the Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined, uh, as usual, with Wendy Christie, um, my co-host. Hello, Wendy. Hello, how's it going? Very, very well. This is a we're actually doing a bit of an experiment. We're doing the uh, the, the podcast in a booth uh, rather than online. And the person who has been willing to do that with us is the wonderful Sophie Devonshire, who's the CEO of the Marketing Society. And welcome, Sophie. Thank you. I love being in a booth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to kick straight off, Sophie, because I would like to know how you got to where you are now and please please do take your time to do whether it was a squiggly career whether you sort of <laughs> jump straight into marketing so if we could kind of get a bit of a feel of your early career if that's all right of course and it is squiggly as they so often are so it probably started when I was at university I was recruited by Procter & Gamble so I, I joined as a graduate trainee in brand management and when I was at university, I, I didn't, I wasn't at all interested in the idea of going to work for a packaged goods company. It sounded like a uh, not particularly sexy thing to do. But the brilliant thing at the time was P&G recruited. It's a recruit from within policy and uh, sorry, promote from within policy. And they, the recruitment is important. And they recruited people who were involved in societies, either presidents or secretaries within their university. And I was involved in quite a lot and they didn't duplicate their database. So I got uh, lots and lots of letters and I felt really wanted. Brilliant. So it's one of those luck and, and decision uh, moments where I thought, oh, well, just I'll go along for interview practice, you know, see what it is. I was um, based in the northeast, I was in, in Durham. The interviews were in Newcastle. I wanted to be in London, but I thought I'd go along for interview practice. And I was interviewed by two people. It's a rigorous process. But the way in which they talked about business and marketing and the way in which they talked about life at Procter & Gamble was so compelling, so interesting, that before I knew it, I found myself accepting a role there, um, you know, basing myself in Newcastle, thinking I'd only be there for a little while. Everyone told me it was good for my CV. But then I fell completely in love. I fell in love with brand management, with business, with the culture at P&G, with the people that I joined with and that I was working with, particularly one of them. So I had had a long-term boyfriend at university who'd gone down to London and I was going to join him, but I felt totally and utterly in love with the man who is now my husband, Brilliant. Uh, which was great. But what we then had was an interesting A-B testing experience where you realise, of course, that anything to do with work is all about finding the perfect match. And, that, and even though he had exactly the same experience as me at, at Procter & Gamble, he didn't love it. Mm. And he could see that my eyes were shiny, that I came home every night thinking, this is great, I'm in the right place for me. And he didn't feel that way. So after a number of years, he changed career completely and joined the Foreign Office, became a civil servant. We moved down to London together. And that decision and, and uh, made things a lot more squiggly for us. Yeah. So I spent my time at P&G, loved it, as I say, felt really good about it, um, was very sad to leave. But I went to Coca-Cola thinking it would be exactly the same brand-led American multinational 
had a great time, made some great friends there, but it wasn't quite the same culture. Yeah. And then when uh, Rita Clifton came in from Interbrand and talked about this thing called brand consultancy to us at Coca-Cola, I thought, well, actually, that sounds like a really interesting way to take what I learned I loved, which was exploring how to turn around brands, understanding how to work with people, and the sort of not quite going agency side, but somewhere in between, went into brand, absolutely loved that. Consultancy suits a butterfly mind. And, yeah, yeah. And to move, uh, you know, between different industries and to understand different people was great. But because of the life choice that I'd made, um, as well as the career choices, we then made a decision to go overseas. So I spent three years um, out in the Middle East, in Dubai, fascinating worked their agency side, so worked for Leah Burnett, had an incredible team of Egyptians, Lebanese, Palestinian, Jordanian, Emirati, a real mix of brilliant people. We were working on marketing right across Saudi as well, so one of our, my first ads was uh, refused by the authorities because a little kid kissed his mother on the cheek and that wasn't oh. allowed. So, you know, oh, really wow. understanding different cultures. Um, and I found Dubai fascinating, partly because it's the sort of place where things happen really really fast mm. and that was intoxicating so when I moved back to the UK I um, was pregnant and I knew that we'd made a decision that we wanted to go overseas again for one more posting so I decided rather than moving into a different role to set up my own business because how, how hard can that yeah. be right <laughs> um, so I set up an e-commerce business um, it was just at the time when brands were really understanding how to to work online it was a fascinating experience to to be involved in a startup to spend my own money versus someone else's. Um, spent three years doing that in the UK, then moved to Estonia, mm -hmm. so to Tallinn. Really interesting place, very e-enabled, birthplace of Skype and TransferWise. So a really great place to, to run an e-commerce business. And nobody noticed I was gone, really, um, because I had a distributed team who worked wherever, very, very early days of what we've been yeah, all been doing pioneering, recently. pioneering, yeah. So we won some awards, actually, because we had a um, sexy, flexy way of working. Everyone had time sovereignty, so I had a fantastic team. But I did move overseas just as the credit crunch hit, the uh, financial uh -huh. crisis, with a three-year-old, a 10-week-old, and a three-year-old business. So that was pretty challenging. But we got through it, and then when I came back to the UK, I started doing rounds of investment to grow the business, and I ended up selling the business to Quintessentially, which is a luxury gifts company. This is a long story. So no, 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 I love it. <laughs> um, I worked for them for, for a year. Um, but then a good friend of mine from Interbrand had set up an organisation called the Caffeine Partnership. So I joined him and spent a number of very happy years. We work with executive teams on their purpose, their pace inside organisations, really helping both startups scaling up to grow up a little bit, you know, understanding what big businesses can do. And... I decided at the time to, to write a book about some of the things I was seeing about people's frustrations about pace. So it was a really fascinating time to, to do that. And then I had a call from a clever headhunter who said, there's a role going at this at the Marketing Society. Do you know anything about it? And I'd met my predecessor, Gemma. Yeah. I knew a little bit about it. And when he talked to me, and I'm going to talk to Craig, our chair, about the purpose, the the opportunity to build this community to help the marketing leaders raise marketing's positive impact the allure of a 62 year old organization that wanted to do more it felt like a really good time to move that was slap bang in the middle of the pandemic yes though. so maybe it wasn't the best time to move into an organization <laughs> so like there's that. a theme running across <laughs> as well there's also a bit of a theme about how i hope i've got this right it's almost like you get goosebumps from people's uh, 
different vision and of course your your own vision but it's the people that are driving that passion that you sort of then fall in love with perhaps the next opportunity would that be right do you think yeah and I think that um a lot of people talk about business being evil work being a bad thing but when you see the joy and pleasure uh, that people can get from doing a good job and how businesses can support each other I just think there are so many stories to tell there are so many people to help and getting involved with with people I respect and enjoy working with you know I found being the experience of being an entrepreneur uh, which is very very different to anything else I know I'm absolutely motivated by teams and building things so that was quite an interesting uh, learning experience for me and I think all that experience as well of living in different countries I can see why uh, the marketing society is so passionate about setting up in different countries and, and really expanding as well I mean, it's fascinating. Anyone who's worked with global organisations or global brands, understanding how to take something, really make it work in in different settings. And the thrill, I mean, the thrill of being able to travel again for all of us now, Mm. of connecting with people in different ways. It's a great challenge. Well, I think fair play that during the pandemic, you still got some great content out and uh, some great speakers and, and, and did a lot. But I must admit, it is nice to go back to the fact that we can have the, the big, um, you know, the big dinners, the big conferences as well. So we can have it all. I we mean, that's that's the brilliant thing. And we need to make sure we do. So we're bringing everybody in and supporting everyone when they are like Wendy at home today or whatever, you know, that we can connect everybody. Yeah. Hybrid. Best of both worlds. <laughs> So you went to university in Durham, you were mm-hmm. saying, and um, is that where you were from originally? Nope, I was a soft southerner. And one of the reasons I went to Durham was because I'd never been north of the Watford Gap, which is shocking. Um, Durham's <laughs> actually not that typical experience, but I love the, I loved living in the northeast. No, I'm from Wiltshire originally. And and it sounds like you, you know, you like to be busy, like to be fast paced and involved and is that how you always were I'm always interested in hearing you know how people were as kids and how that's influenced where you end up now as a kid I was I mean I was the youngest of three and my brother's six years older my sister's 10 years older so effectively growing up I was almost like an only child and we lived in Savonet Forest in the middle of nowhere which was was great but I spent most of my life with my head in books. I've always been a great mm-hmm. reader. Um, and so I was probably uh, mainly focused on books. But also I was very interested in the theatre from a, a young age. So I, I, from the age of about 14, I did quite a lot of acting and getting involved in that side of things at school. So head in book or involved in a, a theatre production probably. Fantastic. And and did you have, was there anyone in particular that you looked up to when you were a child, whether it's someone that you knew or an author or an, an actor, absolutely anyone? I think I was lucky enough to have an older brother and sister who were a, a sort of almost like an extra set of parents in terms of influence. Uh, so my brother works in TV. My sister is uh, uh, teaches English as a foreign language, both very different people, but they were having fun with growing up they were having fun with being teenagers they were challenging things they had strong points of view on what was going on so I think just seeing them being positive about life and I was surrounded by my parents weren't always as happy as they maybe could have been with life and seeing my brother and sister just getting on and doing it was was always an influence I'd say 
Oh, that's really lovely. I don't think we've had that answer before. Sib- siblings. That's mm. a, that's a really that's that's really nice to have that experience. I was the oldest, and I don't know if my eighteen month younger sister would say that about, <laughs> <laughs> about me. And, and what was the dream when you were little? What did you want to be? Well, there's a re- there's a couple of of different versions of this. Uh, I found the other day I was in my parents' attic, and I found um, a story I'd written as a child. Oh, wow. And um, the story I'd written was a classic. I was an astronaut and it ends with a classic, uh, all children end with it, and then it was a dream and I woke up. But the most terrible line at the end, and I don't know, maybe I was eight, I don't know how old I was when I wrote this, was I woke up, it was a dream, something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, girls aren't allowed on the moon. I mean, literally at that early age, and as a, a fierce feminist and somebody who believes really strongly that we need to to get better equality to see that that was horrific so clearly at some point I I was quite interested in being an astronaut the other thing that someone reminded me of the other day when I was growing up I really really wanted to be Penelope Keith (laughs) very specifically Penelope (laughs) Keith not just any actress because it looked such good fun being an actress and she didn't have to Mm -hmm. learn accents she just got to hang out in a manor house, from what I could see, do you remember yes. Penelope? Yes, yes. Yeah. play herself. The yes, so there yes. you go. That was that was the dream. I think I've I've sort of shared before that I wanted to retire and have cats at the age oh. of seven. <laughs> That's a good dream. Like do you know? It could still happen. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, let's goals. face it. <laughs> exactly. Both those things are possible. Oh, that's wonderful. Another theme of, of of people that you look up to, or people who've influenced you or supported you, you know, thinking beyond childhood. Mm-hmm. Who are the people who've really influenced you in your career? Well, there's 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 always uh, those really important people who help you believe what's possible and encourage you. So I've been so lucky to have mentors and champions and people who have, because they've believed in me, have helped me believe in myself. Mm-hmm. But I've also been really lucky with the, the research that I did for Superfast, my book. I got to speak to 100 different leaders across the world and some of them in particular were uh, continue to be so influential and, and interesting but uh, I mean I think the the early days at Procter & Gamble obviously Gary Coombe who's now global CEO of Gillette um, hiring me in the first place we're still in contact and friends and he remains an inspiration and Paul Polman who was at, at P&G for a while but was also one of my interviewees for Superfast I think is a really good example of what I believe in which is that you can be incredibly ambitious and be ambitious for a new way of positive business and building that. There is a number of people. So um, Jose Nevis, who was a client I worked with uh, for a while, he's the founder of Farfetch and he was also one of the super fast interviewees and massively fast growth for titinous business. I mean, so interesting, but a genuine human. Um, a real inspiration in terms of his revolutionary ideas and I would say Greg Jackson who's a friend of mine and also the founder of Octopus Energy real example of values-led business and that just that you don't have to choose between doing well and and doing good I'm like can I swear I was gonna say you, you don't have to be an arsehole to be successful yeah. in business those that that spending time with people like that those are the people who inspire me and make me want to share their stories and be like them you know, and understanding that it is not easy. I mean, the the time I've spent looking at leadership in the last few years has been really interesting and, and reflecting on it in, in my role as well. It is not easy. You need to be surrounded by people who can help. 
but I, I'd say that they're good. The other person I think I'd like to mention is is someone who's just passed away in terms of thinking a lot about people who've influenced me. Really interesting guy who I met a few years ago who um, he's been very successful, chair of different organisations, but we were introduced and ended up becoming friends and he became a mentor and we never had a conversation about that happening. It just happened. Mm-hmm. And at his memorial service a few weeks back, everybody was talking about him being that kind of a person who was so generous with his time. I actually, thinking of the word generous, I'd also bring up Sil Sala, who's the president of the Marketing Society, as another generous pe- person. There are people like that around who just are interested in giving back mm. with nothing. I mean, this this guy, um, John Barton, you know, didn't get anything from me other than I hopefully I was good company in the breakfast we had but helped me so much so I think there's there are always people around and they are people in business who to the outside world will just be seen as money-making successful whatever but the impact they have on their own organization and on other people is enormous I'm sorry, sorry to hear um, that he passed away really sorry to hear that and I'm, I'm quite sure that he did get he got plenty of your relationship as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing sort of surrounding yourself by these incredible people that that perhaps just a little bit of insight and and sort of checking in it can it can make such a difference. So, yeah, that's a, a great group of people. Can I go back to your your books? So, obviously mm-hmm. Superfast and uh, Love Work, which you wrote with Ben Renshaw. That's correct, isn't it? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Can I just ask about the writing process I have a sort of an assumption having sort mm-hmm. of known you for a while that you were probably very disciplined and and you know really just c- completely sort of focused but tell me about the process of writing the books it, it was fascinating and, and two completely different processes so so writing with a, a partner like like lots of other things doing something with a partner is is great because you can challenge each other you can lead, lead each other on doing it by yourself that it does require some discipline which is interesting so it was a really interesting experience writing my first book. It was a bit like I said, starting a startup. You sort of think, how hard can it be? I I, I write blogs, you know. I I write quickly. I read a lot, you know. But it is the analogy is is very good to talk about. It's like becoming a parent. Mm. It feels like a brilliant, brilliant idea. There's some pleasure in the conception around it all, and there's an awful lot of pain. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, it is completely worth it. And the writing process for me was interesting because it revealed the classic imposter syndrome or, or, or personal block. Halfway through it, I just suddenly realised that I was doubting that I had something to say, that I was like, it was going to be good enough. You know, I could feel all these these reasons why I wasn't ever going to finish it. And it was interesting to see the ways I got through that. First of all, I recognised that so few women end up writing business books. Mm. The stats are appalling, um, particularly if you look at Audible, the number of audio voices, female voices out there. There are books on diversity, but the number of um, books where women are talking about leadership is appallingly low. So I was really spurred on by the idea that if nothing else, if no one ever read the book, at least that was something that changed the ratio a little bit. And then I just, the thing that completely, two things that got me through it, one was I suddenly realised I could write a book that I wanted to read. I mean, yeah. cl- classic thing. So I, as I was writing it, you know, I was having a bit of fun with the wordplay. I was being frivolous and there was a bit, little bit voice in my head going, is this serious enough? And, you know, and I was like, actually, 
I'm going to write down all the things I found interesting and I think will be helpful for other people. So getting through it, this is a book that could help. And one of the most amazing things about having written a book is when you get a message from somebody who you've never met, it's not your dad, it's not a good, you know, good friend, and they tell you that what you've written has helped. So it's just incredible. The other thing that got me through was, again, the one of the principles of the book actually is, is progress drives pace. Mm. So I had a really ridiculous, geeky um, Excel spreadsheet where I worked out the number of words I needed to write. And every time I sat down and wrote, I just, you know, gave me a sense of how close I was getting to the title. Even if all those words were terrible, getting the words down. And that, I think, there are so many other times in business where you see that with teams, that feeling of, you know, what's going to show us that we're making progress was really helpful. Second time round, absolutely brilliant because Ben Renshaw, you know, this amazing leadership coach, he's an inordinate amount of energy. He came to me and said, let's write this book together. I went, yeah, that's great. And then I started a new job. (laughs) (laughs) I went, I'm not sure I can do this, Ben. But the the energy he had, but also what was really interesting was the... um, creative abrasion you get when two brains look at something so it was really fun polishing it and a lot of it is you know what he's learned by being a coach and bringing it to life and putting it together in a way that was accessible it was it was a much more pleasurable process Mm -hmm. in some ways um probably less deep learning for me than than the first book but also really just the the things you learn second time around everything is quicker because um, you have learned how to do it and and understanding what's important to you and your style. It's a fascinating process. I need to get moving on book number three now. <laughs> Good luck with that. I, I, yeah, so that would be great to sort of hear what your next book is when, when you're ready to talk about that. And just thinking about, back to sort of the marketing society, you get to speak to so many CMOs and great marketing leaders. What's exciting you about our industry at the moment? There's a lot that is actually incredibly exciting. I've just come from a conversation with a a senior marketer and we've had lots recently where people are talking about the changing role of marketing inside organisations, the the greater value people are seeing around that that role, particularly at a senior level on the board, what, what the marketers can do to connect up what the future looks like with that understanding of connecting the organisation to to real human insight. So what's exciting me is a greater appreciation in business of the critical role of marketing when it comes to growth, when it comes to shaping and, and developing business. I think what's exciting, everybody in business generally, and particularly in marketing, is a sense of what's possible. Yeah, It's slightly also the downside of it all and it's exhausting at the moment the potential that's out there for anybody the pressure of all that you can do and needing to know makes it quite intense which is why working with great partners you know building up a a, a good team of of support around you is is critical for the marketers that I'm speaking to the other thing I think that's that's really exciting is the marketers are the ones that are joining up the different parts of the organization together so actually a lot of them are building brands from inside out inside the organization as well and just understanding that marketing can be um, a tool which is both responsive so it can help organizations as we've seen through covid it can really help turn pivot you know move in the right direction and it can also be a role you know that's where the leadership piece comes in that is helps an organization be responsible yeah. to um, ground everything back inside the organization to be customer centric which is what makes great organizations so i feel really 
excited about where we're going. I also personally feel really excited because I'm spending time with some incredible marketing leaders and I'm so proud and, and impressed by what they're doing inside their organisations. So lots to feel good about. And are you seeing a lot of sort of change for the better as well? Because I feel like there's still, as an industry, I feel like we've, we've still got a way to go. Are you sort of seeing that change starting to happen? In what, in what sense? Well, I suppose I'm sort of focusing on DEI, um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, just making better strides to be more diverse, to be more inclusive. I, I know that it's top of the priority for the marketing society. I wondered if you're sort of starting to see change happening in different brands. Absolutely. And I think it's great. I mean, again, things to be optimistic about really complex and there's a nervousness um, around everybody everybody I think the conversation is starting to change where people know what should be done and that something needs to be done and I think what's exciting is people are, are sharing and and talking about examples I mean for us as a community that's where I'm seeing it work here's an example of how we've become more representative with our marketing here's an example of what we're doing inside our organization to build on the cognitive diversity that you need in creative industries, in any kind of innovation. So I think there is, the narrative is definitely, it's moved forward hugely. I think the the challenge for people is there's still a nervousness, there's still a, a, a need to understand what's right, what's not, how do we narrate that? So a lot of the time I'm seeing and listening to conversations amongst our, our members where they're needing to come together as a community and talk about, well, I'm finding this hard and this is a decision I need to make and I'm, I'm struggling with this, how have you done that? So I think that the intention is there, people understand what needs to be done. And actually, when we come together and talk about it, when we share the ideas, when we talk through how difficult it is to get it right, because these are changing yeah, times yeah. and they have to be changing times, we can do a lot more then. Great. And what are you personally proud of? So this could be your career, it could be outside of your career, just something that you're kind of like, just really gives you a sense of pride. I love the idea of, of pride per se and we were talking about it earlier weren't we the uh, it's a sin to be prideful but it's mm -hmm. also really important to celebrate success and celebrate things you feel good about so what do I feel proud of I think as a parent people always say you know I must talk about my children I don't feel that it's my right to be proud of my children because I think they are I really like them I've got two and I feel lucky. lucky I like them yeah <laughs> but in some ways I you know to say I feel proud of them feels like I have more to do with how they've turned out you know and 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 I, so I feel a bit uncomfortable with that what do I feel proud of I feel incredibly proud of what we're building at the marketing society these last two years we've got an amazing team I really really like our team the way in which we're working together as a, a super team to to bring our individual strengths uh, to enjoy what we're doing we've been really working on how we enjoy what we're doing and how we support our community of change makers these incredible people who are trying to do their best in difficult circumstances to you know lead marketing inside their businesses to lead the industry and the profession to help change it for the better so I feel really proud of our team. I feel really proud to be part of the Marketing Society. You know, it's a 62-year-old organisation. Yeah. You know, we're global, but we are making a difference in supporting people who are themselves making a difference. So I feel really proud and happy to have made the decision to become part of it. Impatient for us to do more. Fantastic. That's a great answer. And perhaps if I can continue being a little bit deeper... I've always been inspired by your drive. You're you're so passionate and you just seem to be 
doing so many things uh, makes me feel a little exhausted sometimes, but it's really impressive. <laughs> but do you have like a personal mission for, for life? <laughs> I told you it was a bit deep. Yeah, <laughs> my mission with work, so my mission with life is, oh, I can't remember exact Maya Angelou words, but, you know, to thrive and survive and, and do it, and, you know, with some passion and some style. But the the work focus and my purpose, I feel really strongly that business can and should be a force for good and in order to make that happen leaders need to be energized inspired and supported um, and a personal mission which has always been there with writing with consultancy with mentoring with coaching and absolutely with what we're doing as a community is to help accelerate that leadership and to help make sure that business can be positive and then it, that it can do more so finding ways to support that that's my filter that's my foundation from a work point of view i love it well i'll let wendy get a little bit less deep now <laughs> yeah that's okay some may say frivolous is, is what this section is yeah, okay. going to be but no we just get a bit more personal now mm. and, and and maybe a little bit less deep so i'd love to know what's your idea of a perfect weekend and if you have any guilty pleasures so perfect weekend. So one of the themes of, of Superfast and, and we talk about being busy and, and how to make it happen is is all around the idea of variable pace setting. So the power of the pause and weekends are a perfect example of that. So I really try hard with weekends to make them a time to reflect, to connect, to um, recharge. Obviously, uh, you know, I want to spend time with my family at the weekend. It's really important. So hanging out with um, my uh, ridiculously opinionated and fun teenagers and my husband <laughs> together is is a, is a perfect weekend. I do use it as a moment in the week when I reflect. So we have a a team ritual on a Friday where we share our weekly wins, and you know they can be personal, they can be work. We do that on a, on a Friday. I also have a um, a group of of friends, and we we check in on a Friday. They're, they're work friends. And we check in on on the highlights of the week together which is a really interesting reflection moment and I plan my next two weeks ahead I try and focus on what I'm looking forward to and, and what needs to be done but at a weekend it's it's um, the rest of my family are, are rubbish morning people I'm the only <laughs> one that's an annoying morning person so a Saturday morning is often a time to write a time to to catch up with some things I never send emails on a weekend I may write them Schedule send. Schedule send. Because <laughs> um, I think that is really important. We, you know, within our team, we have very intense weeks. I'm often out in the evenings. To be able to use that as a, a precious pause is is critical. So guilty pleasures, though. I mean, you know, least cool thing is that I'm a, an Archers omnibus addict. I'm a general Radio 4 fan, but um, my Archers is probably the thing that's uh, a guilty pleasure. And, you know, making the most... I love living in London, so making the most of uh, catching up with people, walking by the river... You know, seeing seeing people eating, drinking, enjoying the weekend. So, yeah, that sounds big weekend fan. Wonderful. Yeah, it sounds a, a really great mixture of productive and restful. Love it. And on the theme of food, then, if we were to have a peek inside your fridge, what would we find? <laughs> well, a friend of mine has set up a really interesting uh, business called Women Wise, where they are doing some very interesting things around nutrition for certain age women so um she gave don't me, know what you're talking about she gave me <laughs> brilliant access to this amazing uh, nutritionist and an expert who did all sort of bloods and things on me uh, so my fridge is full of protein and vegetables so you know a, a, a big fan of that and and gin 
massive amount of gin you know it's it's a it's it's a fantastic thing to have in there so that's that's what you'll see in my fridge wonderful gin and protein i think <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> actually i'm realizing just how obsessed about food we are because i my next question is actually more about restaurants so i'm a big believer in mixing business with food mm. and i love restaurants but do you have a bit of a, a go-to favorite in london or maybe you know further afield in dubai or new york or something i love food and i, and I think restaurants are great so i'm a big fan so what would i i mean i guess this is if this is not a way to reveal what i'm like but actually to give tips to people the one thing i would recommend to everyone is breakfast at the ritz oh nice but not the ritz that you're thinking of the ritz in hammersmith is the best greasy spoon in the <laughs> whole world it's absolutely brilliant classic it's a really good place to take people from overseas because it's a real English breakfast, you know, fry up. Really strongly recommended on King Street in Hammersmith. But if I was to go a bit posher and, and you know, my favourite restaurant to go to if we were celebrating and doing something special would be the River Cafe. Oh, nice. So mm. to be, I love the Thames. You know, I'm a West Londoner being there and the food is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Good cocktails. Too. Calming. Now, thinking about lockdown, I mean, things are easing quite a lot, which is amazing, but... Were there any habits that you started developing during lockdown that you're actually quite happy to have kept? I think it was it was something I did anyhow, but did more of and encouraged the team to do. So the walk and talk. Mm. Mm. The hardest thing about lockdown was over Zoom and the way it made you feel. And I think that there's a, a lot of interesting research on, on the power of walking and there's a whole thing Socrates used to talk about um, it is solved by walking Salvatore Ambalado when you go for a walk with somebody um, you can really unlock things and when you talk things through in your brain it really unlocks helps you solve problems mm. so in my previous role the founder of um, the caffeine partnership Andy Milligan who's a, a genuine human and I used to do our weekly planning meetings walking up and down the, the Thames so keeping that in lockdown as a way of saying Every time I could, if there was somebody I didn't need to Zoom with, but that we needed to work something through yeah. to do a walk and talk. So that's that's a habit I've kept. And I'm really trying to make sure we all encourage each other to phone up more rather than Zooming because it's somehow very different. And to be outside and make the most of it, again, the river, yeah. it's amazing what a difference. So, yeah, I guess walking and talking more. And I think those, um, so obviously there's the walking while talking to someone in mm. your headphones or whatever while you're on your phone. But when you can actually walking next to someone i think mm. can be incredibly intimate can't it there's some i don't know there's probably something to do with the body language that you're not actually looking at each other you're sort of walking together you can just be a bit more a bit more vulnerable and share yeah. more it's brilliant with teenagers right okay because eye contact is complicated or or yeah if you need to talk about something quite difficult with people yeah. rather than having to do the eye contact which can be hard the the yeah companionship of yeah. walking together absolutely mm -hmm. good thought yeah and we don't have to walk six foot apart anymore. I know. Which helps as well. Doesn't that all seem incredibly bizarre now? Oh, it's so nice to be hugging again. <laughs> yes, it really is. Right, so if Tamara and I had it in our power to give you an extra hour every day, how would you spend that? Calling people. So uh, absolutely calling my friends, who I don't speak to often enough, uh, calling my team, because every time we have a chat about something, we can unlock things together, we can connect. It's really, really nice. I definitely spend it on the phone. When I have to do a, a car journey and I can do it hands-free and have a, a call with somebody on it, you know, I, I always take that mm. opportunity to do that because there's definitely not enough time to connect with people. No, 
Oh, that's a good one. And Can I have more than an hour, though? Surely. You <laughs> can have a couple. It's fine. Oh, Let's ask yes. God for an extension. Let's have 36 hours in a day. That's what. <laughs> we might just about get through things then. Yeah, let's, 36 and be done with it. That sounds great. Okay. How would your friends describe you? <laughs> well, to go back to the early point, they, they, would, they would probably describe me as too busy because um, we don't get to see each other often enough through the way things work with work. I think... I hope they would describe me as as positive. So I'd always rather be a, a radiator than a drain to be around. <laughs> so my last question before the end, karaoke. <laughs> Are you a fan? Do you have a go-to song? So my dad, who I'm still very close to, he's 82. I mean, in terms of life goals, you know, he's, he's just a great character. Um, and he worked for a Japanese company in years gone by. So he used to bring a karaoke machine to our school fates. Brilliant. So we were, and, he, and then he'd have it there at the weekend and sing away. And so for his 80th birthday, we as family bought him a karaoke machine Aww. to have. So this new year, in fact, he was there with um, three 13-year-olds, my youngest and, and two others, singing karaoke to 3 a.m. So that's really good. So yeah, karaoke, big fan terrible singer I mean I really cannot <laughs> sing it's, it's a real frustration because I love music but I cannot sing so what would be my song I guess my song would therefore be one that would actually when I was singing it everyone else had to join in yeah. with so what would that be Sweet Caroline something like that sure, bit, sure. bit of Frank sing alonger Lizzie uh, Renahan who is um, runs my choir I think I've told you before that I'm in like in a pop choir I love that and she's so just good. the most amazing person but her philosophy is very much that everybody can sing it's just that perhaps they weren't given the right encouragement so in the, in the same way that you didn't think that you could go to the moon perhaps someone mm. wasn't saying to you yes you can sing and therefore you don't use your muscles so yeah my Gr advice growth is to mindset you, yeah you have to do the growth mindset on the singing and you just have to go for it and to be honest karaoke it doesn't actually matter if you can sing or not it's all about the performance right <laughs> <laughs> sophie thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I want just one last opportunity for you. Is there anything that we haven't covered or I can leave you to have the, the final thoughts? Anything we haven't covered? I mean, we, I'm sure we could talk for hours about some of the, the questions you've already raised. I guess the thought would just be to talk more about the Marketing Society. You know, we are enormously ambitious in terms of bringing together people who want to make an impact and want to make a difference in marketing. We want more people to join. We want more people to support what we're doing. We want to connect up more interesting people together. So I guess the thought would be come and get in contact, join us, be part of what we're trying to do. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.